The following ShishMed podcast is a production of DrPodcasting.com. On this edition of the ShishMed podcast, we talk about transgender care, creating communications and engagement guidelines. So what are the challenges transgender patients face when seeking care? What are the best practices related to patient engagement and training? And what is the best approach for coming up with a plan to serve this community? Hmm, really good questions. But don't fear, we've got really good answers. So make sure you listen to this podcast all the way to the end. And we're going to get you those answers right now. This is the ShishMed Podcast, rapid insights for healthcare strategy professionals in planning, business development, marketing, communications, and public relations. I'm Bill Klaproth, and in this episode, we talk about transgender care, creating communications and engagement guidelines. And with me is Alex Galata, Amy Sarah Marshall, and Sarah Ridgway, all with the University of Virginia Health. Alex Galata is a marketing and PR specialist. Amy Sarah Marshall is an online content strategist, and Sarah Ridgway is a marketing and PR specialist. Alex, Amy, Sarah, and Sarah, welcome to the ShishMed Podcast. Now, as you know, we start every episode of the ShishMed Podcast with rapid insights, one quick tip someone can use to make their marketing communications better today. Amy, Sarah, you're up first. Give us your rapid insight. All three of us believe that developing empathy is the most critical aspect of a marketing strategy. And so my quick insight is to go ahead and develop two to three authentic relationships with people who fit the demographic of the people with whom you're trying to communicate so that you can do a quick gut check with them on your communication style and approach and make sure that you are not out of step. And Sarah? So, yeah, just like Amy Sarah said, developing that empathy um, before you get into taskmaster project mode, spend some time on those Alliance websites or the organizations that is actually supporting that patient population. You could sign up for their weekly distribution emails. You could follow their social site. And that really helps you, like Amy Sarah said, get familiar with that language that that patient population uses. And then those issues actually matter to them. Alex? Yeah, and I would just add that getting to know your audience is one of the important things when it comes to marketing. Try to walk in their shoes, find out exactly what it is that they're needing and wanting to hear, and I think you're going to be more successful as a marketer when you're doing those things. And that is a great rapid insight. Really some good information there, ladies, and thank you again. So, Amy, Sarah, I'm going to start with you. So let's dig into our topic a little bit more here. So can you share with us general transgender terminology and demographics that we should understand? Absolutely. So in the United States, there's about 1.6 million people who identify as transgender, If you know somebody who is a natural redhead, that's about the same uh, percentage of the population as people who are transgender. So if you know a redhead, you probably know somebody who is transgender. The term refers to your identity as you understand it um, internally. So if you are born and physically you look like you belong to the gender of being a girl or a boy. We say the doctors assign that gender to you because of biological sex, although there are people who are 
not necessarily one or the other because they're intersex. But if you are told you're a boy and you have the physical characteristics of a boy, but internally you understand yourself to be a girl, then that is when you're transgender. Every single human being, as you develop, part of our human process is to develop a sense of our gender identity. It's not something that you're born with. Everybody develops that as part of their normal uh, growth. Um, And people who are transgender have an identity that is different than what their biological sex is. And so that's where the transgender term comes from. If you don't have a difference there, you're cisgender, which comes from the Latin cis, which means same. So that's where the, the distinction is. So knowing that it's a lot more common than we think really helps us to understand that this community has been discriminated against and underserved as a population. So that leads us to the next question, Alex. What are the challenges then transgender patients face when seeking care? Yeah, that is an excellent question. And I feel like challenges, there are many. I'll just touch on a few. Oftentimes, we believe that caregivers don't have an opportunity to understand their trans patients and the medical issues that they might be dealing with. So often enough, the appointments for medical care that the trans patients come to are spent with their care providers being educated instead of patients being treated. Another issue and challenge is that the caregivers are lacking training and terminology and policies when it comes to transgender patient care. And in many organizations, there are no policies by which the trans population can be backed with in order to receive proper care. So unfortunately, there is a lot of discrimination and lack of proper medical care when trans patients come to doctors to seek medical attention. Well, I'm happy the LGBTQ community is finally getting recognized and policies are being put in place so these people receive the proper care they deserve. So Sarah, knowing what Alex and Amy Sarah just discussed, let's talk about how to address this. What is the distinct approach that should be taken in order to care for transgender patients? Yeah, that's a very loaded question because there's obviously many approaches other medical centers have taken that are through our research, we found that really, even if you are providing transgender services to patients at that very moment, it is extremely important that you align your services internally before you take it externally to market. We have not provided this stat yet, but 40% of transgender individuals will attempt suicide in their lifetime. So it's a very, very sensitive population. So they really will enter the system in so many ways. So that's why it is so important to align internally. So endocrinology, urology, plastic surgery, behavioral health, trans patients could be entering at any moment. So really before you start promoting those services to your community, to your state, we recommend getting sort of a transgender advisory committee that is very patient-centered. So if you can reach out to LGBTQ community members or if there's internal employees who have identified as transgender who are willing to share their experiences and finding some folks on the clinical side who have proven to be strong allies and sort of aligning everyone internally before you make sure that all of that content and all of those marketing materials you're putting externally is truly representative of the experience that they're going to have at your medical center. 
I think that's really great advice. Align your services internally before you take it externally. Yeah. I think that's really important point and I, I it love is so important. And I love how you talked about the transgender advisory committee as well. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. So Alex, let me ask you this. What then are the best practices related to patient engagement, training, policies, communications, and clinical care? Yeah. To um, connect this to Sarah's answer just a few minutes ago, yeah, making sure that internally the medical staff is trained and that could begin with the receptionist and Anyone who comes in with patient interaction at the beginning, you know, folks who answer the phones, they know how to use the pronouns and what the pronouns are. They can explain to the trans population how to navigate the healthcare system, what services they might be looking for, what providers might be safe space providers and who have been trained um, and know exactly what's going through the trans person's mind when they're accessing the healthcare system. I think those are all really good, important points. And making sure that it's required. Yes, thank you. Um, that is a key part, and mm -hmm. that is, and like you mentioned, making sure that it's not just the clinical staff who are trained, but everybody in the environment where healthcare is being provided because they all affect the experience mm -hmm. and whether or not a transgender person feels safe or not. And, and I think some of that is going to, dismay the bias that is out there in regards to the trans population. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're saying, you know, once more providers come on board providing that safe place, if you will, more providers will see that and start to incorporate that into their practices as well. Is that right? That is it, exactly. So Sarah, how should we then develop a plan for changing an organization's culture to address transgender care? Yeah, it depends on your organization's size, obviously, because it can be more challenging the larger you are, and depending on where you are um, demographic-wise, obviously cities have a much easier time because they have a tendency to be a little more forward-thinking. We were in the South, so it does come from sort of a, a grassroots sport, which is why we're participating in today's podcast. We're in the marketing department, and we feel this patient population has been underserved, and we wanted to help lead the charge. So. Starting with that transgender advisory group, just a couple of thoughts if you were putting that together, making sure that you meet sort of people where they're comfortable, that you can provide sort of opportunities for anonymous input from outside influencers, whether they're patients or employees, and we can't take feedback personally or defensively. And you really need to give people a chance to review any sort of materials or policies before you put it in front of them. And you have to expect that it's going to take time. You know, when you're trying to gather a group of people who have full-time jobs or part-time jobs, you need to be respectful of the time that they're committing to your advisory group. And you can't rush it. It is definitely not something, um, this is not a patient population that can be sort of just a quick fix and a quick services page on your website and move on. It is something that takes time and is changing. And um, it's important that the folks on that committee recognize that. And Amy, Sarah, did you want to add something in? Yeah, I just wanted to say in terms of changing your organizational culture, that, that a lot of people will think that they can develop an anti-discrimination policy. And But if people don't know about the policy, if people aren't reminded of it, and I'm talking about both staff 
and patients, it, the policy doesn't really have any, any heft to it. So you have to make sure that you're educating about policies, that you're posting them publicly, that you are keeping any decisions you make about how you're going to approach this population very explicit and very visible so that every clinic has that policy so that if you are putting rainbows up to show that you have had training and that you are providing these services, that those are visible to everyone. Part of the issue with treating trans patients is that there's often an invisibility there um, and that things are kept sort of um, under a layer of cultural shame, so to speak. And so unless we create an environment where the welcome is explicit, you're not going to actually change the culture. And you are going to also need to have champions who are modeling the behavior you would like other people to show. So you're going to need to find leadership who are willing to um, use the correct pronouns and and just model that behavior. Well, those are really good points. You do have to attack this at a deeper level. This is more than just changing a page on your website. And you also talked about the importance of the leadership modeling the correct behavior that you want people to emulate. So I think those are really important points. So Amy, Sarah, let me stay with you. On a personal level, there still may be some biases among individuals toward a transgender patient within the healthcare setting. What approach should be taken to help train those individuals to boost empathy and understanding towards transgender patients? Yeah, so... We don't advise trying to force somebody to change their hearts and minds or beliefs or value systems when it comes to interacting with people who are trans. What we advocate, however, is that people subscribe to and be encouraged and trained in how to be respectful. We want to, everybody who's in healthcare is there for a reason, and usually those reasons have to do with helping other people um, and, you know, providing care. And so the setting the expectation that there is a foundational shared base way that we treat people is really key. Uh, I think that everything that we have learned about how people develop empathy has to do with exposure and interaction and those personal relationships that occur. Um, those kinds of relationships and interactions can only happen at an authentic level if there's a basis of respectful behavior between those individuals. So um, it really comes down to having those in-person trainings, allowing people the freedom to ask questions that they may need to ask or or have the freedom to have whatever feelings they have, but then asking them to still treat whoever walks through the front door of that clinic or hospital with the same amount of respect. And for transgender people, that means using their correct names, their correct pronouns, looking at any implicit bias that you may be expressing, and then moving on from there. I think that's a great way to look at it. We all need to provide that foundational base of care. I think we should all be aspiring to that because to me, this isn't going away. This population has always been there, but it has been underserved. And today, I think our younger generation and hopefully more of us are more open to sharing and understanding and accepting the transgender community. So we all should be thinking of this. This isn't just a phase that people are going through. 
these people deserve the same care and respect we all get. And that, again, speaks to the foundational base that Amy Sarah was just talking about. So, Sarah, can I get your thoughts on that? Maybe you can wrap this up for us. I think that what what you just said, Bill, is kind of relevant in the sense that a lot of people have this misconception that it's a trendy thing and that that's something the kids are doing. When really it's it's not that it's actually folks are now having the having the the words and the content to sort of express themselves and um, feel safe to come to terms with their actual gender identity that they've been feeling for their entire lives. So I think it's important for folks that they are thinking that it is just a a phase that uh, the youth you know, just talk about sort of the, the coming of the next five to 10 years about how gender fluidity is becoming a part of sort of that younger culture's life and that medical centers need to be prepared to receive them. And Amy, Sarah? I think that we have to provide care for all. We can't pick and choose uh, who we want to provide care for. <laughs> um, and so I think any healthcare organization needs to take the responsibility of learning about who they're serving, and especially for this population who have been so vilified and experienced just a lot of oppression and bias and still experiences a lot of that in their daily lives to this day and, you know, face a lot of healthcare challenges that in- include stress and emotional problems. So I, I think it's incumbent on all of us to-, to learn how to be welcoming to this population. Very well said, and I think this is a timely topic. Alex, Amy, Sarah, and Sarah, thank you for your time. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Bill. And please join us for ShishMed Connections 2020, where you can learn more about healthcare strategy specific to marketing, digital engagement, communications, public relations, strategic planning, business development, as well as career and leadership development. This year, September 13th through the 16th, 2020 in beautiful Chicago, Illinois. And to learn more about ShishMed, visit shishmed.org and please subscribe to this podcast and check out upcoming ShishMed education events by heading over to shishmed.org slash education. That's shishmed, S-H-S-M-D dot org slash education. This has been a production of Dr. Podcasting. I'm Bill Klaproth. See you. See you.